You're listening to the That's My Financial Guy podcast, where we talk about life, love, the funny, and of course, money. What could go wrong? Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney of the Haney Company, and I am thrilled to have my good buddy, Dean Nordlinger of Blank and Rome, which is a little new to say. So uh, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, exciting, exciting. It's Absolutely. a long time coming. So um, we're going to talk a lot of really fun things, but probably the first four questions I've found are the hardest uh, the most significantly weighted question. So probably most listeners are, are, are really intensely attuned for this. So uh, we'll just rapid fire one after the other. Would you rather live on the moon or under the sea? Hmm. Provocative question. It is. It's very loaded. Uh, I'm going to go under the sea. Under the sea. Think it, immediate thoughts that come to mind. Aquaman, pretty cool superhero. Right, no. pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. The man, the man from Atlantis. Yeah, show, show from the, I think it was late seventies. Yep. Maybe really, uh, very cool. And so the wonderful, mysterious ocean wildlife, the ability to communicate. I think that'd be, that'd be pretty amazing. So I'm going with that. I like that. Yeah, I've seen, you know I I never saw the the recent movie uh, space movie where like you see that one scene and they're just like floating off into space and it just seemed so scary. So. Yeah, I don't know. Space doesn't seem like the final frontier I want to explore. Yeah. So, all right. Under. Under the sea. Under the sea. Under the sea it is. What food will you not eat under any circumstance? Well, I, you know, I have a pretty varied and non-discriminating palate. But, and this I do, and I, and I love sushi, all kinds, but the one thing that I find a little too intimidating would be blowfish, right? The yeah. puffer fish. I don't care who's slicing that. The right. wrong slice. Ch- chance of death. Yeah. yeah. Not into it. Not into it. I, try, I, I, I kind of agree with that. I got adventurous yeah. pal to try a lot of things, but I, that one I'm going to beg off of. I, I'm with you on that as well. I think the other things I try to avoid are things that are in the insect arena because oh. I know people in some parts of the world, that's an okay thing to venture into and, and consume. I, I think I'm out on that as well. So blowfish and insects for me. That's good. Though. I think it's a good answer. I'm, I stick with number one, but that's, no. Oh, that, but, uh, yeah. but so, solidly, that would be. You should be able to survive I, I, an insect, but yeah. I wouldn't go out of my way to try insects. No, no, like, but yeah, neither would I. Yeah. All right, what celebrity would you want to have dinner with, and why? What's well, hmm. that is a very interesting question. It is a very open ended, and there, I think there are a, a limitless number of choices. But you can pick, go alive or dead too, if you okay, want. Well, to. I'm, but I'm okay. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go. One as one person that comes to mind, uh, not to the exclusion of others, but just one comes to mind: a comedic genius, Jim Carrey. Okay, Jim Carrey, guy's hilarious. He is. I mean, just unbelievably funny. Uh, tremendous range. You know, he's done a lot of comedies and some other stuff. But I would say more so because and stuff that I didn't know about him until I'd seen a, a few interviews and stuff. He had a pretty tough childhood. Hmm. Had a tough childhood, which included uh, homelessness at a certain point, where his family was living out wow. of a van. He's battled depression hmm. on top of that. Uh, he, I think at one point he dropped out of high school, decided that wasn't for him. Even when he was in school, he and his brother were working uh, as janitors at the factory that his dad was working. So not wow. an ideal scenario, but he had tremendous passion. He, at one point when he was struggling to make it, wrote himself a check 
for $10 million to sort of visualize into the future what his success Love is going to be. Wow. And he actually, he, he, he actually made it happen. So uh, I, I just think he'd be a, you know, to sit down with that guy, pick his brain, understand why when you came from such unfortunate circumstances, you, you figured you were yeah. just going to make it hell or high water no matter what when, when the odds were very much against you. But Fascinating. He, yeah, so he's... That's one choice. Oh, I, I love it. Yeah, I, we've gotten some really good answers, and that's not one we've had. That's, <laughs> I, and I, I've seen recently, I think yeah. he's gotten also into some artistic areas and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think he's done some real like high-end art. and oh. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, All right. So laughter is a powerful medicine. And I, it is. And, he, and he, he delivers a lot of it. So Yeah. yeah I, that, if I'm going to have dinner with anybody, I can't be dry and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> mundane. Um, besides this podcast, of course, what other one or ones do you listen to that you would want to recommend to somebody else? Well, my, so my wife listens to a lot of things and she turned, she turned me on to don't laugh goop men podcast. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. uh, They, they have a lot, they have a lot of great content. I've listened to a number of things. Uh, and one person in particular that comes to mind uh, and frankly, somebody maybe I would, you know, in the dinner category, maybe somebody I would want to uh, meet him, interview him too, is a guy. Have you heard of a guy named um, Wim Hof? No. The Iceman. He's he's a Dutch extreme athlete. I've heard of the the Iceman yeah, name, but yeah, I, have, yeah. I mean so, outside so, of Maverick so, so again, and Top a, Gun, here, here's clearly. Here's a guy, just, <laughs> a, a, but you know, really unfortunate. His wife committed suicide. Oh. Left him with four kids, and that part, that whole experience was part of what motivated him into doing the stuff he does. But he has a mind over matter thing where hmm. it's it's cold therapy, conscious breathing, and uh, commitment, and you know, letting allowing your mind to train your body how to go and withstand deep extreme temperatures. Wow! Right, fascinating. Like we, like, like we, you know, because we're so pampered in our in our in our modern life, we are unlike yeah. we used to be. So. Uh, it's pretty cool, and the health. I so watch this whole thing, and the health benefits that come with the, you know, with the cold therapy, the conscious breathing that leads to more energy, reduced stress levels. Like, just it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So I, I, I will have to give that one a listen. Yeah. We're, we're gonna end podcast. We're we're gonna create a, a top ten list of all the recommendations. So that'll that'll probably be somewhere in there for yeah. sure. Well, awesome. Well, now that we've got the hard stuff out of the way, let's let's go to the light stuff. So tell. Well, that was, but let's be clear. That was the interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see. Okay. I mean, okay. We try not to, you know, spend thirty to forty minutes boring people to death, but we'll. Uh, okay. I'm sure. We'll, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll make. We'll make a <laughs> you and I can figure something out. Okay. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> so tell uh, tell the audience um, about yourself, kind of you know, little little background, and also what you do and what you specialize in, and and also in that what you're most passionate about in your professional capacity. Okay. So, so background wise, native Washingtonian. Yeah. Uh, my father's family settled in Georgetown in the mid to late 1800s. They were clothing and shoe merchants on M street. I was born in DC, grew up in Bethesda. Um, I had a bit of a peripatetic path into the law. Okay. Uh, you know, I went to undergrad, like a lot of other people, I did not know what I wanted to do, but law was about the furthest thing from my mind. I didn't know many things, but I knew that. Like, it was not really <laughs> into the law. I went and took a little time off. Then I got an international MBA out at the University of San Diego out west. And then I moved back to D.C., the D.C. area, in mid-1994. 
Uh, the economy wasn't great. I ended up getting a job at a very large science and technology company, government contractor firm. Hmm. And that job, what was interesting about that job was a few things. Well, it, it was working side by side with the uh, in-house counsel for international business okay. in this multi-billion dollar company. And it was, uh, the job was really uh, as much regulatory um, as it was pure business. And so there was this law and business kind of thing going on. And on top of that, we used, we consumed the services of a lot of different law firms with various things we're doing. So I got to have kind of a bird's eye view into being a consumer of legal services, hmm. right? So the company hiring the outside counsel to, and, and really developed from the consumer side an appreciation for if you're having somebody represent you, you know, what are you looking for? What do you want? Which I think has been a very positive influence in terms of how I have formed myself now now that I am a lawyer and we talked about that like the peripatetic path into law so I decided while I was working well you know this this law thing maybe is actually a little interesting to me based on what I was doing and back at the time law business technology they're all converging I wasn't exactly sure how I would use all this stuff but I decided I wanted to go get a law degree so I uh, went to law school at night I went to Georgetown I worked full-time and went to law school at night which was the, was the better way for me to do it uh, came out of law school in 2000 and have been in a business law role ever since. So, uh, you know, I've worked in a bunch of different industries, but pr primarily, predominantly, always representing small to mid-sized private health companies and entrepreneurs across various industries. Um, and that, I really like that. I think from a day-to-day -day perspective, you asked me, well, what am I doing? I would say a couple things. One is really serving as a, a general business and legal advisor to clients mm -hmm. and serving in many in in many instances as a virtual in-house counsel and also really representing companies through their life cycle the company enters through their life cycle from start yeah. to exit and I do meet people at different points along the way it's just it's sometimes look sometimes I get brought in at the end right when somebody's deciding hey I'm it's time to push the button I want to exit and I get referred in and I get to represent somebody in, in you know in that biggest of all life cycle events. But yeah. it's also great when I get to meet people way earlier on and help them go through those critical phases and stages of the, of the life cycle company to get to that point. And in, and in that way, really work with clients constantly on corporate strategy and, and, and similar issues. Well, that was... Uh, I some insights that I, I wasn't aware of too, which was fun because I know you and I do go way back, at least a little ways back. We do. We, go we have we have we have we have some interesting circles that we run in, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that I know we we have always shared that commonality of of interest and passion for the privately owned business, the owners, and just kind of watching because businesses are you know have almost human-like qualities in some respects when it comes to how you start one, you see it grow, you eventually step away from it. It's such a very interesting, um, it's a unique thing that we're pretty fortunate in this area to have an abundance of really cool and, and interesting and unique companies and, and owners. And, yeah. and so it's, it's just a lot of fun to be able to come alongside people as they are, you know, Right, seeing these passion projects and these right. areas of interest flourish. Yeah, um, no, yeah. no doubt, and that and that's a lot. Of it. That that's you know. So, in our respective professions, you know, people hire you for the core expertise that you deliver or that I deliver. So, yeah. 
purely on the legal side, it's you know it goes well beyond assumption that hey, you're gonna cross the T's, you're gonna dot the I's. But where else? What else is there in that relationship from a value perspective? Uh, and, and what I find the most fun is working with uh, the owners and the C-suite of the company to, to, to sort of wrestle with those tough issues, business and legal and strategy, about how to take the company forward, what makes sense yeah. in any given situation, whatever it is they're doing. I'm sure we'll get to some of that, but that's at high level. That's what makes the, that's what makes the, uh, the profession or the job, whatever, on a day-to-day basis interesting because there's always diversity, there's always a new situation, and, and frankly... You, you you are. I find myself always learning. I mean, I learn from everybody. Yeah, I absolutely. learn from the people I represent. I learn from the other you know, lawyers and other the staff. Everyone I work with, because everyone has uh, something to share and offer. And so, yeah, the, the the learning that goes along with all the doing is is really what makes it stimulating and interesting on a go forward basis. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And let's talk about some of those maybe issues. Some of the common whether they are pain points or just opportunistic um, moments to, you know, engage. What are, what are some of the things that you mentioned a few, you know, if somebody's ready to exit, mm-hmm. um, what are some other things that, you know, are kind of those door openers where somebody is going to say, hey, you know what, we're talking about fill in the blank. We need to be talking to Dean about this. Sure. Well, here, one thing in particular that I, one thing in particular that I, with clients, there's a constant, I think, challenge for owners of, of companies uh, with uh, attracting and retaining their key talent, right? Help, sure. Having people around them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, sustain the company, grow the company. And that could be at various levels. I mean, C-suite, you know, lights out salespeople, could be whatever it is. And so that's a topic in particular where and, and it's it is a wide open territory, and there's no. This is what kind of situation there's absolutely there's no answer book. This is oh, this is right, and this is right. wrong. You have to do this. You don't have to do that. There are a lot of factors, and a lot of considerations that go into figuring out those situations. And it could be, it could be a one off scenario where somebody, the people who own and run the company, want to bring in from the outside that dynamic, exogenous person that's going to help them, uh, you know, bust through and get into a new vertical and take the company to new heights. But it could be broader than that. It could be a whole universe of people, a select group of people inside of a company that you're struggling to figure out how to really kind of bring them along um, and and take care of them, so to speak. And the, and and part of that, uh, I think, again, depending on where I come into the situation, right? Sure. If especially if if we're on the front end and we're talking about. Well, where do okay? We have we get there are choices we can make now. There's ways we can form this thing, and one of the things to think about is, you know, not just the type of entity, but from a tax perspective, what you're what you're going to be, right? So you could be a true corporation and be taxed as an S corp. You could be an LLC taxed as a partnership, but you could be taxed as an S corp. And some of the things to think about, right, along the way are that in an S-corp structure, to, I don't want to get too technical here, but there there is some rigidity. There are some limitations, right? right. Everybody yeah. has to be treated equally uh, financially slash economically. I mean, you can have within one class of stock, you can have voting mm-hmm. and non-voting, yeah. but that's about, that's about the most creative you can get, right? And so there's a difficulty there in terms of, hey, you're the owners, your blood, sweat, and tears is in the company. You've got a lot of financial investment in it. 
you're willing to bring other people into ownership, but at the same time, you know what, like you want to get some money out for yourself first, there's a real complication there, right? There's a limitation. Sure. There's an inability to, to tax efficiently do that through the actual ownership per se. On the other hand, if you were more in the partnership scenario, different classes of stock, profits, interests, all these other creative tools you yeah. can use. So, and, and again, that doesn't mean you can't have a hit the reset button along the way, but it's more complicated to do that. So it's yeah. it's it's nice when you have the opportunity to have those conversations because I've even worked with clients before where they've actually I've kind of come in late to the process and somebody else they work with somebody else and they put some plan in place, but then we talk further through what do they really want to do and they realize mm, that wasn't really quite the right thing. I don't want to give real equity yeah. for business reasons or tax reasons, tax reasons, what have you. And we'll go back and we'll go down the path of what, and you're familiar with this stuff, you know, equity linked, hey, contract rights to participate in the upside value of the company rather yeah. than real ownership rights. And that's an example of the type of thing where you sit down in a, in a brainstorming, in a whiteboarding kind of strategy session, you talk through, well, let's talk about what really matters. What do you, what do you want to accomplish? But more, more importantly, you always have to connect with your audience, your employees, right? Because if it doesn't make sense to them, it's a total fail. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, and you see this a lot, you also find out that the people who are working for you feel, and I'm not saying they're wrong, because I do think there's some sense and sensibility, because there's always two perspectives, at least two perspectives in any situation you're trying to figure out right. how to make them, how to reconcile them to find a path forward. But it, there's a feeling and a belief that, hey, I've already created a lot of value here. So if, you're, if I'm going to come into equity, I don't feel like I should be paying for that. I feel like that should be given to me. Right. Right. And then on yeah. top of that, depending on how it's given, there could be some tax consequences or a tax bill to pay associated with that, which is difficult. But at the end of the day, right, I think what I have found through a lot of discussions, working with a lot of clients through a lot of situations is that when you really scratch below the surface, it isn't so much, not in all, I'm speaking in generalities here, it isn't so much that somebody necessarily categorically wants or has to be an owner, right? It's more that they want to make sure that whatever value they're creating, whatever growth they're responsible for, in that final, final scenario, when you go to sell the company, they're not a lost commodity. They're not forgotten. They're locked in. They've got some kind of an enforceable protective agreement where, hey, I told you I was Mr. or Mrs. Owner. I told you I was going to do this or that for you. I've done that. I just want to make sure I get to ride alongside of you and get a payday, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's... And, and, and that's, you know, what matters. And also, again, what you find out, I've had situations like this where clients find out they're operating in multiple states, yeah. multiple states. And they, and they say, well, we want to give people real equity. So they do. And then you have this unhappy <laughs> scenario where you realize, yeah. well, now all of a sudden, those people who own fractions of ownership interests deal with having to be, you know, accountable and responsible to pay taxes in multiple jurisdictions you know, non non resident state <laughs> income tax, which they don't yeah, want to do, right? And and that begs a whole other process. So these are just the t types of things, right? That you, when there's the opportunity, we like to have these discussions with clients to sort the points and come up with whatever we think is maybe the best or the the, the maximum reasoned conclusion for what right. the, for for whatever it is the goal or the objective that's to be achieved. That win win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you've laid out really distinctly how it's not that one size shoe fits all and how a lot of these legal and structure considerations are never as black and white right. as I think people perceive them to be up front. Yeah. And you meant, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned 
really, you know, especially in how we've seen not just technology, but really society, culture, economy, so much has changed. The What motivates and drives employees has changed a lot along with it. And I remember recently working with uh, somebody who was, I, I met through the 40 under 40 through the business <laughs> journal, and he works for a technology company that does a lot of really cool things in the association space. And over lunch, he's telling me about this key employee who was clearly um, significant to the organization who, you know, literally as he's texting back and forth in our, in our little, you know, lunchtime, stressing out because the person told him he's basically leaving and he was leaving to go to another company because what motivated him at the end of the day was being a part of this startup experience, right? It was kind of the the ability to have hands-on build something with you know a team of other people, which right. where he was, they tried throwing more money at him. They tried doing a lot of these typical things. Yeah. Nothing could get him to stay because it wasn't aligned with that motivation factor. And I just found that fascinating. Yeah. And it lines back up with what you're talking yeah. about is that you do have to know both sides of that equation to deliver the right type of strategy. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the, the law is a profession. It's also a business, right? right. No shocker yeah. there. But, but you know, <clears throat> separate of that, right? I mean, the, the legal stuff, it's important. It's the glue that holds a lot of stuff together. But on a deeper level, uh, the law part, I think, oftentimes can be pretty easy. The harder part is the human part, Yeah. right? Absolutely. Like, like understanding who the players are. What 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 are the underlying motivations? You know, how do we really how do we really connect? We have to really, and this happens in M and A scenarios just as much, right? Whether I'm representing a Absolutely. buyer or a seller, you know, you, you're people always uh, know well and they're well versed in the things that are really important to them and how they want things <laughs> to play out. Yep, right. That's and right. That, and that's 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 human nature, right? Uh, the the thing that is, I think, many times the difference between success and failure is the level of effort, the time, the energy that is spent really deconstructing where the other where the other party or parties are to understand what are their hot buttons, what is sacrificing sure. to them, what really matters. And you hit on that in your yeah. in your situation. And that's where you know, that's where a lot of stuff comes together and falls apart. Yeah. Really. And, and and that's what I go back to sort of the strategy. It's it's legal, but it's business, it's psychological, it's people. Right. So these are those are the real drivers that you, you never really can get away from. Well, and that's why, you know, in your practice and, and, you know, this is why, you know, we've had such effective synergy, I think, is tackling a more complex dynamic and not trying to make it, you know, taking the complexity out, but dialing into some of those intangible components, mm-hmm. because those are, you know, ultimately the real decision points. And then you know, by the time you work through that, you know, the legal, the financial, all the other stuff seems to kind of fall into place. Right. But I think a lot of times people can get hung up on our stuff first and they don't ever really get to that, you know, that that real, well, what are we really talking about? We're talking about people and issues and, and perspectives and frameworks on, on, you know, things that don't really have this either financial or legal dynamic to yeah. them, at least not inherently and not certainly not up front. Right. Um, Let's talk about some other, you know, we've done some work together walking through important things for business owners to be mindful of when it comes to creating, you know, a framework to operate their business successfully. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that this is probably something that's, you know, a very common 
dynamic, regardless of the type of business that you run, where, you know, you're going to have to be mindful of, of a handful of really important things to make sure that you're protecting the business and yourself from risk and also giving it maximum kind of capacity to grow because, you know, not considering certain things can leave you vulnerable, whether or not you, you're, you're aware of it. So yeah. let's maybe talk through some of the things that um, we've seen, you know, and, and we talk about things that probably could show up in either a buy, sell, or an ownership agreement, yeah. some of those trigger sure. points. Sure. So if, if you want to, so maybe we maybe we cut out two ways. One is, you know, say, I think what you're saying is sort of, hey, what, you know, what's something you, you, you really should do? Yeah. And what's maybe something you really want to stay away from? Right. right? Yeah. So in the one thing that I think you really want to do, and it's it's big picture, but we, but we can we can kind of you know suss it out and break it down the component parts. But you know the idea of always you you want to plan for the best, but you also want to prepare for the worst. Yes, right. Yep. I mean, so you know I'm a very uh, you know a, a, I tend to be a more you know, positive, like hey everything's always going to work out. The glass is half full, be yep. solutions oriented. But at the same time, you have to think about well, well, what if it doesn't go well? Right. Right. And so I, I think. A classic example of that is, and you, you see this, we see this here, people go into business together, right? Let's, we're going to go to business together. Okay, let's get minimum paperwork together. I, I too, like to avoid, uh, I like to minimize the formalities where you can, but I also think it's important to have a high-level, honest discussion with your prospective business partners before we put sort of pen to paper to understand right. what is this relationship really supposed to be sure. about, right? Because, you know, it may be, and you're, you say you and I are going to form a business. You and I are going to form a business together. In my mind, it may be, well, it's the Dean and Brian show from sunup to sundown all day long. We both need to be here right. crushing it, killing it. Like, we have to be maximum full-time employed in this thing. And then again, you may think, not necessarily so, right? right. I mean, maybe initially I'm going to put more time into this thing, but as we get more successful, maybe I pull away, maybe not. So a very simple thing would be like, well, hey, is ownership supposed to be tied to employment or not, right? And that's that's a really that yeah. really is a fundamental thing that I think people think about impliedly, not necessarily expressly. And I've had more than one uh, scenario working with clients where there's it, along the way you'd be surprised, right, to know an, a real shocker that n- not not all mar- business <laughs> marriages are doomed to last forever. Right. There are you know, there there can be some divergence along the way. And yeah, that's a perfect example of that, right? Where if you haven't planned for the best but prepared for the worst and you have an agreement that doesn't really address the topic, you're really stuck, yeah. right? Now, stuck in the sense that there's there's no written prescriptive um, scenario path to follow, right? The, 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 the two people have to figure it out, right? And that oftentimes isn't great, right? Because the, at this point, people aren't really getting along so well. Well, and I think what you just stated, it, it describes so much of what I see as, as the, the big picture. Why do this? Why go through a, a fairly extensive exercise to put certain verbiage and legal paperwork and framework in place? It's because not so much the, the fun part, the positive part, the hopeful part, because I think that you know, a lot of people, it's easy to focus on that. It's easier to gravitate towards that. Um, it's for those scenarios, the things that you don't want to have to talk about, you also don't want to have to deal with 
because you didn't talk about them or yeah. you didn't yeah. you didn't consider them in good times and now yeah. you're in a difficult situation when everybody's yeah. stressed out and yeah. doesn't know what's going on and oh by the way right. we didn't put anything legally together to address this so now we're trying to right. figure it out in the in the least ideal right. situation well, and also listen you know hope springs eternal <clears throat> optimism overflows at the beginning. And that's great. And I, I get that as much as anybody else. Yep. And frankly, often when you're starting a business, uh, the dollars are a little tighter. And the reality is if you really hit the pause button and think through these things, well, two things are going to happen. One, there's a time delay. Two, there's a money outlay. Mm-hmm. Right? And ne- no, nobody's that interested about that. Oh, you know, we're going to... And so, I, so for me, when I'm working with clients, uh, you know, I... I'm going to go alongside of the clients in, in terms of whatever decisions they make. But I feel that strongly that one of the things that I'm supposed to do with clients is have that higher level discussion. Let's talk through the concepts. You're all big boys and big girls. You can figure out whether you want to then take the risk and go down the path without it or whether we want to address it now. But I just want to make sure that that is not a surprise in the future. Right. Right. And perhaps if we have that discussion... Maybe it will spark in a productive way, something that, that they hadn't been exactly aligned about, and it, and it isn't necessarily a problem, and we end up drafting some provisions in to allow for something like that. For example, the fact if somebody does want to sort of back away from the business, okay, maybe there can be some kind of a mechanism in there for a, a modest buyback of some of the ownership interest sure. at a fair price, but not necessarily at a full, full value or full fair market value from the perspective that somebody's decided to kind of cut a little early, at least partially. So at least there'd be something, right? Yeah. To, to without really, as you said, without really bringing the business to its knees because the people don't like each other and can't get along. Well, and, you know, it's so funny. We talk about, you know, some, some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff is psychology right. involved, at least to a certain extent. And, you know, it's, it's when you actually take the time to point to a fear or a concern or an anxiety point, by the fact that you actually walk through, have a conversation and actually address it, it doesn't get bigger. It actually gets smaller. And a lot of times, because you've done this legwork, you've had that conversation, you've addressed it, you actually feel considerably better having had a tough conversation than if you don't have it at all, mm-hmm. you know, because you now have, you've prepared for the things that you don't really, nobody wants to walk around and think about what happens if, you know, we leave this place and the bus hits us or whatever that is, whatever those, you know, whether that's that, that's that right. insurance guy right. talking, but you know, any of these types of situations right. that we just don't naturally think about right. when we have the time in, you know, working in a business law setting or just, you know, a conversational right. setting and we kind of put these things together, it's a much better dynamic. I, I'll give you two more examples. One that goes with that and then one, what I would put in the bucket <clears throat> as we talked about, what do you want to stay away from? Yeah. But in the, in the, in the bucket of things you want to think through. So let, you know, let, let's say, you know, again, let's, let's pick on you and me. We go into business together. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a good looking guy. You know how to do stuff. And all I have is money. Right? <laughs> and I, but I fancy myself as knowing more than I actually do. Sure. Right. And so one of the things that you would, that perhaps we should be talking about, right. Is that, okay, well, how do we want to split up the ownership and the management? Because yeah. just because I've got money and because I have an ownership interest doesn't mean I'm the best person to be making decisions about day-to-day business or even long-term decision-making, right. right? So probably going to go better, right? Especially if we're in, in a venture that really caters to your expertise. Probably sure. more often than not, we should just be listening to what you want to do, right? Now, 
admittedly, maybe I'm a little scared because I put in a lot of money and I just don't want to be in a sidecar without any control over where the company goes. But again, through the right discussion, we can reach the right balance between where you're going to have some protection, some voice, and at the same time, I'm just not going to get in your way, right? Because there's going to be some decisions that you're going to be better served to make than I am, even no matter how well intended I am. It's a great example. And that's that's the kind of thing that another type of thing that I think you want to think about. The other thing that I have seen a lot of, Mm -hmm. and it is completely understandable, and it happens more often than people want to admit, and it happens in one of two ways. And that is, you said earlier, well, geez, you know, what about some kind of a, what, I, when I say an owner's agreement, I mean a shareholder's agreement or an operating agreement, shareholder's agreement for a corporation, right. an owner's agreement, operating agreement for an LLC, and the attendant component parts that are important in that, right? Including things like buy-sell provisions mm-hmm. and right. governance and the finance and the economics and yep. how we're going to whack up the pie and this kind of thing. So, again, when people start businesses, uh, the, you know, the, the internet is a wonderful place and it is full of great, in, it is full of great information, Yep. Um, but you have to choose wisely. And I'm gonna, yes. I'll give you an example of that where I got called in one time to, because among other things that I do in the quarry of extra, sometimes deal with business owners disputes. And we had a situation where the 51%, 49% ownership and the 51%, they weren't seeing eye to eye mm-hmm. and the 51% owner desired to see if he could you know could cause the exit of his 49% owner so I got called in and uh, they gave me a copy of the operating agreement and I read it and we sat down I sat down with the 51% owner and I said well okay so there's good news and there's bad news and you just uh, which one do you want first <laughs> and he said well what, I'd like the good news first all right I said okay great well this is actually actually this is a f- fairly thoughtful comprehensive and relatively well-written agreement and he said oh that's fantastic so this is this is great for me and I said well, okay well let's now we're gonna let's talk bad news what's the bad news I say that from the perspective of somebody who owns 49% of the company not somebody who owns 51% of the company, right? <laughs> because and I said where'd this come from he said well I I pulled it off the internet and literally it's okay that's I get it but again that there's a problem right you pull off an agreement and you know, business people are smart people, but they aren't necessarily trained to go figure out what's the best operating agreement yep. without some professional. Body. It doesn't even have to be a lawyer, but somebody who really is versed in that stuff. So anyway, that was a problem, right? And yeah. there was no forced sale provision. There was nothing. So we had to go through a rather painful and protracted buyout, and we got there. But you know, the, the 51% owner slash the company unequivocally had to overpay to get it done because the 49% owner was... They weren't in a good place with each other, and the forty-nine percent owner knew that the only way that this was going to get done is based on that individual's demands. So they were met, and it was unhappy yeah. times. Or alternatively, people know each other, and from one company owner to the next, hey, I've got this great agreement. So and so set it up for me, and you take it and you run with it. But again, it goes back to what you said earlier. Well, every situation has unique flavor, unique That's circumstances, right. yeah. the people involved, and so. Painting in broad strokes, you may be covering the right topics, but when you go a level below that, you may not, the, the paint may be going over the wrong cracks and crevices, right? I mean, just, and right. you maybe want it to go differently. So, again, you know, what do you, what to do, what not to do? It's just examples. And the no, list goes on. It's important. And, um, you know, we've also talked about things that, you know, I think a common thing, and this, you know, the concept, big picture concept that, 
is certainly specific to privately owned businesses, but is really somewhat uniform across a lot of different entities and industries, this concept of succession, mm-hmm. um, you know, where what happens in any type of situation, eventually people leave mm-hmm. for one reason or another. They, you know, on their own terms, involuntary, you know, but right. someone stops working in a certain capacity. And then the question is, the re- you know, the remaining firm, entity, whatever it is, has to move on and move forward. And yet, you know, so a, a big kind of common thread, and yet there's some pretty significant granular components that you have to think through in those that type of a situation, sure. whether it's a privately owned business, whether it's a, you know, association or a nonprofit, which we see a lot of as well. You know, you have a, a CEO that's been in an association for 25 years, it's it, easy to look at that and say, I bet the value of that particular person in, in relationship and equity and all kinds of stuff goes well beyond whatever they're getting paid, mm-hmm. right? Sure. If you're trying to put a numeric value to mm-hmm. it or quantify it. So, you know, a lot of these things uh, now, you know, the rubber really starts to meet the road. So if we, if we just concentrate on that concept of succession, what are some things that a, you think are really important to be a part of as, as, you know, conversational components? And also what are some things that you think uh, people also may maybe make some common mistakes in that particular right. area? Well, I want to, so that's a great question, but what I want to do is I'm going to split that apart a little Let's bit. Let's do it. And go and go back a half a step from there, which is just some business growth generally. Like someone yeah. who starts yeah. a company. Right? Yeah. Like, okay, well, what are, what are we, what are we doing? Before right? even we get there. So, yeah. so I've, I don't want to call this a common mistake. I want to call this more like a, a common occurrence. And I, I get it. I understand it is that, you know, when somebody forms, they, they somebody founds a business, mm-hmm. right? I mean, hopefully there's a good reason why they're doing it. Yeah. Right. And, and, yeah. and let's assume there is at the same time, as far as I'm concerned, what they should be thinking about on the same day they're founding the business is, you know, what is the intended goal and the exit mm-hmm. strategy. Begin with now, the end in th- mind. Th- yep. Listen, that that could change over time, right? Yeah. And because nothing is static, things evolve. You could have one initial objective out of the gate, something fortuitous happens during your business life, and you realize, wow, there's a much more a lucrative path for me to pursue based on some unforeseen things that can happen, right? So you always have to be adaptable. But the point is, on day one, as you just said, what's what what's the end look like? And mm-hmm. and and I think that's really important because. It goes to your next question, which is, um, well, then how am I going to get there? What am right. I? Gonna, what, what am I? Who, who's with me? How am I doing it? And I think that we we spoke of this a little bit before. You know, the the key talent, right? How do you how do you how do you get the right group of people to rally around the organization? Whether that's in the C suite mm-hmm. or whether that's in the trenches, doesn't really matter. But all the way around. How are you gonna do that? And and uh, one thing that is for sure is uh, whatever is going to be a successful outcome, right, is going to be directly driven by what you do along the pathway to get yourself there. Yep. So here's what I mean by that. And I'm, I apologize, I'll probably jump around a little bit, but something that you said, which is profoundly important as far as I'm concerned. So especially when you talk about entrepreneurs and small to mid-sized privately held companies. One of the things that's a real driver is, hey, where does the identity of the owner of the owners end 
and where does the identity of the company begin? Such a great point. Right? I yes. mean, is it is it, it, you know, if it's marvelously blurred, so they're one and the same, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. But what it does mean is that when you go to sell your business, mm-hmm. if you, uh, let's, and that presupposes you've, you know, built something that somebody else wants to buy. One of the things that's going to be looked at, and you hit on it, Brian, is the fact that you pretty much are the business. I mean, yep. you're at the epicenter of the business. Mm-hmm. So, so. There's a payday for you there, but not a payday that allows you to instantaneously walk away from the business the day you sell it, right? <laughs> right. Not going to yep. happen, right? More likely than not, there's going to be a transition period. Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it three years? Is there some kind of an earnout? Mm-hmm. right? What have you? All these different types of things that will profoundly impact and influence what an ultimate sale transaction look like, looks like, as well as what you also just said, hey, there's probably a whole, probably at least a handful of people mm-hmm. because it takes a village. There's probably a handful of people in that company that are, you know, institutionally uh, invaluable, right? I mean, that they really help make the success of the business. So, another thing as a business owner that you don't want to find yourself in a situation is way down the path when you when the owners do decide to sell, they don't want to be in a situation where they can get hijacked by their key people who they haven't locked down. Yeah, right, because. One of the one of the greater truths in in doing a lot of M and A work that I do is I like to say, you know, buyers don't pay twice. Well, That's right. So here, here's what I mean by that: <laughs> if a buyer sizes up your business and thinks it's a fabulous business, and I'm willing to pay twenty million dollars for the whole thing, right? And then they realize, hmm, there's like seven really key people here that I've got to I have to make sure they stay in the fold. And whatever they decide, and I'm, again, going to talk in generalities, but let's assume a buyer says, I feel like I'm going to need a couple million bucks to really lock up all the key people that I want to lock up. Mm-hmm. Give, them, give, them, give them some money at the time the deal closes. Give them some money going forward. Well, the buyer's not reaching in, into its left-hand pocket for the $20 million and then into its right-hand <laughs> pocket for the other $2 million. Right. What the buyer What the buyer's going to do is say, well, it's $20 million total, 18 to the owner's. However, we're going to pay that, right? Whether it's cash at closing, mm-hmm. whether it's some seller financing, whether it's an earnout, whatever all that is, and separately, the money that we're going to pay the key people, right? And so, an owner is or owner owners, in my experience, and this is one of the things I work uh, company owners about is how do we way earlier in time in the life of the company create a plan or plans, right? And you know mm-hmm. this, there could be many plans yep. where we put. Uh, you know, carrots out there, right, for the people who really deserve it and keep them motivated, keep them in the game, keep them having an ownership-like mentality into the culture to want to see this thing all the way through and, again, do it in a way where seller isn't waiting for a buyer to come in and dictate to them what they think it's going to take to get it done to keep these key people around. Right. It's a very effective I'll call it a tool um, in in deals when a seller. Well, it, a couple things. One, a seller shows a buyer that they're more sophisticated and more thought out, more thought out when they have these plans in place. Yes, that's number one. And number two is you're telling the buyer you don't need to come up with your self-imposed solution. Yeah. For us about what you're going to do, we've got it taken care of. And by the way, the risk will be on us because you're not overpaying. Right. You're only paying. You're paying twenty million. Great. We know with our plans in place that the aggregate of X dollars will take care of this. Mm-hmm. And to the extent it doesn't, it will only hurt us. It won't hurt you because you're not overpaying. But you take back the control of that 
in your negotiation with a, with a buyer. So uh, I, I think that the other thing is important, and now let's go to another sort of succession type thinking, right? Because yeah. that's succession where it's just it's a full on sale. Yep. But you will also see scenarios where maybe somebody hasn't built a business that there's everyone and their brother is knocking the door down to want to buy it, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. the owners it's like, well, what am I going to do? Because I don't want to work forever, right? So they, to your point, they turn around and they look at the the senior management and the C-suite <laughs> around them. Well, geez, maybe these guys and gals want to buy from me, right? Maybe. Sure. But but again, a really important thing that people, the thing that's overlooked is, hey, the, not everybody's a real entrepreneur, that's right? That's right. And not everybody's going to want to, you know, put their house on the line as collateral or provide that personal guarantee oh, yeah. or be responsible for the payroll ultimately or all these people and their livelihood. And so a lot of what people come to realize at that point is, mm, well, I'd like these four people to, to buy in or buy me down or do a management buyout. And yet there's no appetite yeah. for, for providing any kind of personal guarantee. So now all of a sudden you're in this sort of slightly unhappy scenario of, well, geez, maybe I can get people to buy me out, but I almost have to buy them out with my own money. Right. And personally guarantee the bank financing because yeah. the bank doesn't believe in these unproved, smart but unproved characters. They only believe <laughs> in me because I've been able to service the debt. Yeah. So there are strategies going beyond this podcast that you and I could talk about. And we have talked about with other mm-hmm. clients where you – um, through these plans, create reservoirs of dollars that yep. you've more than happily put aside because these people have earned them that perhaps over time can then be uh, turned into purchase price. Yep. And at the Leverage same time, points. you may say, well, you know, I feel like I'm if I do that, I'm really paying myself. And I would, I would respectfully argue, no, you're not, because you, th- those are dollars you would have otherwise paid to people for value they already created in any event. Right. And had you done it properly another way, that money would have been out the door, never to be seen again. So, no, this is really dollars that you already parted with that are now coming back to you. Well, and that's such a great point in planning. Right. And just um, being able to, A, begin with the end in mind as much as humanly possible all along the way, right. but also recognize that the right uh, strategic thinking and the strategic frameworks that are available, you can assign you know, a dollar to the right bucket and have considerably different impact based on, you know, really knowing what you're trying to accomplish and who the parties are involved. You know, uh, I mean, we see simple things in the insurance arena all the time or the, you know, the executive compensation arena where, you know, if you design a plan one way, you can spend the same amount of money, but have two different potential outcomes than if you design it a different Mm -hmm. way. And all of a sudden you realize that there wasn't really a, a need to design it that way. It just, you know, it it was just, you know, let's, let's think about this a little bit more fruitfully to your point. And I think that that's, um, yeah, important for people to, to be aware of, but also challenging to know going into it that, you know, there are all these considerations that you need to be thinking about. It just kind of also reminds me as we're talking about it, I've seen such, unfortunately, I've seen situations where, again, uh, a company has adopted a plan that allows for what I'll just call a a premature exit by some key people Mm -hmm. where, Hey, I promised you this and you'll earn it over the next, you know, four years and even if the company's not sold, you have the ability to turn around and ask the company to basically buy you out. Right. Which I think is rather unfortunate and counterintuitive to anything you, <laughs> anything you want to do. Right. But but I've 
seeing that you know flavor out there, which isn't yeah. good. And again, it goes back to something you said earlier, which is how do we have an alignment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm an owner. I'm thinking one thing. I'm a key employee. I'm thinking something else. So how do you balance that out? How do you align yeah. people's objectives, right, so that they're on the same path as opposed to, hey, I just got to do this for long enough and create enough value, and then I can go to the owner and punch my ticket, and I, I can be out of here, whether whether they're going to be here or not, and I'm out. And that's not what you want. Right. You know, At the same time, you don't want to go the other way where you give somebody no hope of any kind of monetization event ever happening yeah. because – Okay, then they're ne- why would they stay? Yep. Something else better comes along. Geez, we, I've been at this for four years now. There's no sale in sight. Wow, what's this going to be? Well, and especially in this kind of competitive landscape, people are talent hungry. Uh-huh. Everybody, Everybody's trying to attract and retain talent. Uh-huh. Everybody. Uh-huh. And so if you're good and you recognize yeah. how good somebody is, it's, it is it is critical for you as an owner or even somebody in the hierarchy to, to really say, hey, you know, this person's <laughs> a talent that – it would cost us a considerable amount more yeah. to to let go and have to replace, um, you know, regardless of where you might be in the life cycle. So I think that that's right. always a healthy attitude to have um, as you're trying to grow and succeed. And, and, and the other thing you talked about this in different words is, you know, the ownership percentages. I think people get a little too hung up on that, right? So I agree. Yeah, you you want to you know if you're a little look. You, a hundred percent of something that's worth nothing is is nothing, right? <laughs> that's right. Seventy eight percent of something works. that's really big is uh, that's fantastic. So, mm-hmm. so to your to, to that concept you're talking about is, well, you know, I, I have to give to get, and you know, the idea is to you know, if the if the expression is where the um, the sum is greater than the whole of the parts, uh, or you know, one plus one should equal something more than two. Maybe it doesn't equal three, but on that path, right? That's right. where you're trying. That's where you're trying to be. So you you need to have a what I would what I would see, humbly suggest is sort of some sort of strategic sharing initiative to keep the people alongside of you to believe in what's going on and help you maximize what that what that outcome is supposed to be. Yeah. Let's talk about let's let's get some real just granular points that I think are probably just good things for people to have. Like if there's a checklist mentality, mm-hmm. these are maybe some of the things that I just want to make sure I've looked at or I've talked about or I've considered. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when it comes to either ownership, risk risk management, really how the two converge, right? We talk about um, triggering events, which for me, I, I like to say that's this has happened now what's going to play out and also where's the money going to come from once what what plays out um we have kind of you know the the three d's uh what i say b and r so death disability divorce bad behavior and, and retirement or exit let's talk through that just and give some real right just granular framework as to why these are things that you know yeah are, are good just to be aware of and, and make sure that you have some kind of context for. Sure. So this goes back to something you said at the beginning of the discussion, right? Which is, well, have you, have you, how have you planned for, how have you papered yeah. to address any of these eventualities? Right. And then at the same time, I want to take them in, in two contexts. One is, uh, you know, amongst the owners themselves. Right. Yep. And the other would be, for example, within... I'm going to just genericize it as employee incentive plans, yes. right? Yes. And also, yes. um, 
and I'll take the employee incentive plans first. I think there, I think there's a, a bit of a, a laudatory kind of flavor to those owners who take patriarchal and matriarchal views of wanting to take care of their employees. Mm-hmm. Okay. I agree. And yeah. I think that's wonderful. At the same time, uh, if I were to do a bit of a take, take a poll and look at all the clients I work with and how they handle these things, I would say that many more owners are of the mindset that when it comes to creating these plans, particularly these employee incentive plans, the payouts are really geared around an exit event. Right. right. And nothing more, nothing less. Now, that doesn't preclude them from using their discretion in the case of any one particular person to do something more, right? God forbid there is a death or a disability or right. something like that. Right. Doesn't preclude them from deciding to go outside the four corners of an agreement and take care of somebody. But I think the larger view there is, you know what? Why am I doing this? This is not an insurance policy. This, this plan is not supposed to be the thing that takes care of somebody. We're all supposed to be responsible people mm-hmm. and have insurance and other protections in our life to right. take care of really yeah. bad situations, right? So I would say that's how you see that often play out. Not exclusively, but generally right. that's, I think, a, 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 a practical view, a way to look at that. Now, on the other hand, let's talk about people who own a real company together and what are you going to do, mm-hmm. right? So... That's a tougher situation, right? Sure now, let's, just, let's assume we've, we've got the foundation laid and we're having, um, we, need, we need the right structure and we know, you know, again, let's use me, we, you and I start a company, maybe we have a couple of owners with us, you know, and we all are doing our best and we're all working there together and God forbid I die or become disabled. Well, I certainly didn't choose that for myself. Right. Hopefully not. Uh, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and you know, and, 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 you know, presumably you, you and my other partners don't want to penalize me mm-hmm. for something that was beyond my control that I didn't intend to do. So at the same time, right, let's talk about, and this again goes beyond this podcast, but like, hey, have we decided to put insurance in place for That's these right. types of events? So yeah. insurance or no insurance, but even more so if there is no insurance, right? How are we going to handle this? Because you have exactly. to continue to take the company forward. You don't want to suffer a deep uh, financial setback on the company from the strain of having to pay me out, so to speak. In mm-hmm. the so I think while there are a number of ways to slice and dice that, I think highest level where I would come out on something like that is I don't think that you know my ownership interest should be severely discounted or whacked, but I also think that my business partners shouldn't be expected to just, you know, give me an all, you know, an all out cash event of, of what could be millions of dollars in the moment. There ought to be a much more responsible right. sort of payment plan uh, paired with an acceleration of whatever the debt that's owed to, you know, my wife or my estate mm-hmm. based on if you sell the company before the maturity date of whatever the pay period is. Yep. On the other hand, if I do you wrong, Right, there ought to be a consequence for that, right? Sure. I, I intentionally or recklessly, I went out, I messed up, and I've compromised the business. Mm-hmm. I've messed you up, my other partners up. So, uh, I don't think the idea is that I'm supposed to get a windfall from that. I think I'm supposed. <laughs> no, to, I think I'm generally supposed, not. Right, right. I'm supposed to suffer in some way, and opinions will vary. Well, okay, do I get stripped out at book value? Do I get stripped out at fifty percent of fair market value? That's a discussion that can be had. But I think again, to your discussion about. 
biggest picture, where do we where do we buy buy components? I mean, I think there are good slash understandable events, mm-hmm. and then you know the kind of bad boy acts where you know we want to treat those fundamentally and and seriously differently because those were choices, right? Sure. Those were things you brought to bear selfishly to the detriment of everyone mm-hmm. else around you. Yeah. So and you know we're this is why it's it's important to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Outside of the event, mm-hmm. <laughs> before you know, when it's when we're all funding games and we're yeah. you know we're we're the sky's blue, it's a blue ocean. There's tons of opportunity right. and all that other stuff. You can go through some scenarios and yeah. and at least carve out and create some yeah. kind of a framework yeah. that, in right. the absence of it, yeah. creates a yeah. lot now, of a lot know, of problems. Let's talk also about more generally the other D divorce, okay, or or death or what have you. Like, hey, you know listen, you think I'm a great guy. My wife's a really nice lady, but that doesn't mean you want her as your business partner. Exactly. So, right. I mean, again, no harm, no foul, no offense intended or taken, but I went into business with you to be in business with you. Mm -hmm. So we'd be better served if there was some kind of a mechanic in the agreement, right. To proactively preemptively take that issue off the table where we would know this is what's going to happen. And we're not Mm going to be in a debate about it other than, what we set out in the agreement for valuation. And you and I both know that there are multiple ways to do that. We could mm-hmm. decide, hey, it's one valuation, or we could decide I pick one, you pick one. And if they're within 10% of each other, okay, we live with that. Or if not, then we could pick a third. I mean, mm-hmm. could we, but again, to your point, I think you're well served to really think through that out, through, through all that on the front end. Even if you ultimately decide not to do that, <laughs> At least you have thought through it as opposed to just, gosh, I didn't even know about that. Well, and, you know, I think it goes back to where you started. And we talked about really people, you know. And and at the end of the day, when you're able to be thoughtful and create frameworks, you find that more often than not, it preserves those relationships rather than strains them. Not to suggest that certain events that we're talking about are not going to have their own strain but they're exponentially more strained without some sort of a framework to now assess them and address them. Right. Whereas, you know, outside of having to deal with some uninspected event, right. you know, it, it's better to have that kind of a plan that you can then execute. So that way all the parties have something that they can go to rather than try to figure out or mm-hmm. deal with on the fly. No doubt. And I think that that's just, you know, it's, it's a big difference, but you know, the, the, the numbers and I think the success factors can be, Hugely consequential, yeah. hugely consequential. Um, we've covered a lot of ground, and I, I, I knew that we would do that. Um, any kind of final points or shout-outs you want to make as we wrap up? What do you think? Yeah, sure, but I would be, I'd be remiss if I didn't add one more thing to what you please, said earlier. Please, please. Uh, you know, I think, so we talked about, you know, on the front end, the day you start a business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to know, hey, where am I going? Mm-hmm. But I understand the, the pressures and the duress that owners are under to make ends meet, and and the and the notion that you've got yeah. a, you've got a you know a hundred plus pound weight on your neck that is holding your head down to the ground and the grindstone, so you're not able to pick your head up and see mm-hmm. the bigger picture, get above the get above all the trees and see the forest and figure out where you're going. But I think that, and I know that it is uh, profoundly important to do that, and I think that one of the best ways. That, that business owners are able to do that is to, 
And again, it doesn't happen overnight, and you're not necessarily going to do it right when you start a company. Right. But to have a strategic, either, well, you could cut at it one of two ways: either a true board of directors, right? Um, and if you don't want that, and and some people don't because they want to have the formalistic control over the company just themselves, but at least a strategic advisory board, right? Where yes. you have a couple guys and gals who are very, very smart and informed in your space. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been there, done that. They know what you're doing and they can keep you honest. They can keep you accountable, help press you, push you to have a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Life is imperfect. So it's not like, hey, it's a series of boxes that I'm going to check and oh, how great am I? Because every three weeks I'm ticking off another one of these check the boxes. That's not likely to happen. Right. But if you have the plan and you have the 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 quarterly, I mean, I, I would recommend it be quarterly, but whatever you're doing, that you're having those check-ins, those strategy sessions once a quarter with your advisor. So you say, where are we? Yeah. Right. And, and we didn't talk about this, but you know, success really is in the planning. I mean, I think we've said this in so mm-hmm. many different ways, yeah. but you know, the idea that you're going to wake up, that when you decide you're going to sell your company or you think that you'd like to, some people come to that decision later and more rashly. But if, if, you're, if, if we are scripting that for our clients, I think each of us would be saying, you know what, it'd be really great if you were thinking about that as far as 60 months out, right, from the time you're at doing least. it, or at, le- or at yeah. least 36. I mean, yeah. so that there's a runway, right? There's a mm-hmm. realistic path for you to travel to accomplish the things because wherever you go there you are and you are who you are so another thing we didn't talk about is success okay well if i'm gonna go sell i think one of the things you definitely want to do well in advance of that is have that nice robust look in the mirror look at all the features about yourself that are really Mm -hmm. pretty and attractive and pleasing to look at but also have this also have the stomach and the stones to look at the couple things that maybe are not great and okay how do i want to account for them yeah. Can I improve upon them? Yeah. Can I fix them? Can I explain them? What can I do? Right? Because, again, most things aren't fixed, you know, overnight. Mm-hmm. You got to give yourself time to do it. So I think that there's uh, a, just a constant as you as you evolve along the path, you should be looking at yourself. What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? Look in the industry. Look at your competitors. Look at just, you know, figure that you want to be you want to be aware of that stuff, right? Because Absolutely. You want you want to you want to be able to be as best you can a detached, objective critic of yourself if you can. Yeah. And since you can't really be perfect at it, that's what your that's what your strategic advisors are for. Completely All right. agree. All right, so I'm now let me stop running my mouth because you asked about shoutouts. Shoutouts. So uh, definitely many, um, but I'll I'll I guess I'll limit it to a couple. One would be. Uh, my grandfather, who also practiced law for a long time, uh, he semi-retired from the practice of law when he was 92. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> hey, man, everybody does their own thing. That's um, pretty awesome. Yeah. And then uh, my father-in-law, who's a pretty sharp guy, mm-hmm. and he's he's a real estate lawyer, but also a very strong business mind. And I think that within, we again, we were talking earlier about, hey, look, there's the practice of law and there's the business of law. And I think he's really mastered that quite well. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have to go together to get, get best results. And so it's yeah. about seeing the big picture, right? Knowing how to connect people, get you know, the laws important. But we talked about the people, how you, how you make all those things go together. He's been a, a mentor of sorts to me. That's pretty and, great. Yeah, so. 
There you go. You got, you got a pretty good family, too. Oh, thank you. I'm not going to forget yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, and my family. Yeah. Yes. All right, so if somebody needs to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to contact you? So the two easiest ways would be via my email, mm-hmm. dnordlinger at blankroom.com. Okay. And uh, although it's very, you know, not super sexy, just, you know, LinkedIn, too. Those are probably the two easiest Absolutely. main ways. And the third way, I guess, would be through you. That's right. Yeah. I, I know how to get a hold of you. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, well, thank you very much for having me today. I very, great. very much enjoyed it. And I hope that some of what we talked about is helpful to, you know, the two, three, or a thousand people who are going to listen to this. Absolutely. Or somewhere in between. Yeah. You bet. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA